Welcome to the Powercast with Charlie Johnson. I'm one of the world's leading fitness and transformation coaches. I'm going to be providing you with the tools to build your ultimate body and mind. Absolute pleasure today to have Emma on the podcast. So thank you very much, aka ESG Fitness from the world of Instagram, as most people seem to know people from their Instagram URLs. How are you? I am very well. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Absolute pleasure. Now, for anyone who doesn't know anything about you initially, Emma, who are you? What do you do? Where are you from? I'm Emma, or ESG Fitness. I am primarily an online personal trainer, run, I guess, quite a similar business to yourself with a slightly different niche, I think. you, Or from what I've seen, mostly men getting absolutely shredded. <laughs> um, mine's mostly women getting into shape, understanding a bit more about nutrition. Again, similar to you, I really focus on the educational side so that people understand the process. Um, yeah, and I guess like in a, in a nutshell, that's what I do. Awesome, awesome. And whereabouts are you based? I am, strangely, people are always surprised by this, based in Dundee. And every time I say that, people are like, why? And I'm like, it's actually really nice here. <laughs> I, I, I thought I had to drop in. I, I knew the answer, but I thought people might find that interesting because <laughs> your accent doesn't reflect where you live. So, yeah, Well, that is true. I have been Whether to that's good or bad, I don't know. Have you been to Dundee? I haven't, but I, some, I do like the Scottish accent, but it depends... Yeah. Where it's like Glaswegian, however you pronounce it, it's a bit full on. What well, Dundee is quite full on. I'm going to, yeah. So you might struggle to understand people from here. <laughs> cool, cool. So um, we're going to go through some topics today. Obviously, Emma has a very strong client base of females who specializes quite heavily in that base, which is why part of the reason I wanted to discuss today with you is one of the points was uh, why men need to train like women and why women need to train like men. And part of the reason, like, sort of brought this to mind. I had the pleasure of training one of my clients who's prepping for a photo shoot in December, Holly, yesterday. And like first session in, like working with her one-to-one and instantly her strength increased on doing like a rack pull from what she did previously by about 40%. And, and like for me, again, it was just the lack of confidence that perhaps she had to push herself with that ability and maybe having someone there to like reassure her that technique was okay and it's okay to to like crank it up a bit more and she could have gone for more in the tank but there's I think it's sometimes being sensible of how much you try and increase the load between workout to workout 40% is quite a jump so I think it's being sensible with that but is, is that something you come across quite a lot? I think it's a really interesting like statement so I'm interested <laughs> to discuss it uh, and I guess what you really mean by like women should train like men men should train like women I think obviously with completely stereotyping people here there will be women that train like way harder than men and there'll be men that train way harder than I women say that i think a lot of women train harder than men yeah women have a higher pain threshold than men when they know how to push themselves like they have the ability to push themselves further than men i think yeah and i often think like physiologically they kind of do as well um they've got slightly different physiology in terms of fiber types in terms of their ability to recover I definitely think women can train more frequently and recover quicker than men. Now, there's going to be a physiological aspect to that, but I will have to be totally honest. One of the reasons I think that that's the case is because women maybe not even tend to, they tend to train not as heavy as men. Yeah, I agree. And potentially not as hard sometimes or not to failure, which means they're not really stimulating the muscle in the same way. Um, and I think it can be quite hard for a woman to like load a certain exercise heavy enough 
for them to need like three or four days of recovery before they train that muscle group again. Whereas for men, I think that can happen quite often. So I don't know if you, like when you're programming, do you like accommodate that? Do you say, oh, I, I train into account a lot of like recovery is such a like, person dependent variable because it depends on a lot of people's lifestyle factors. And as you said, the, the ability for the individual to push themselves. And like something I've noticed is my own training, I always find it like interesting just to monitor how you progress when you look back is the stronger that I personally have got, the more recovery demand that's put on my body, the more like, I can't go and deadlift anymore and max myself out of that because I can't really train for four to five days because I just feel like I've been hit by a bus. So it's being wary of your own recovery abilities and what the end goal is. So like using deadlift as an example is an exercise I love. It's probably like biomechanically what I'm strongest suited to do. However, it's not, in line with my goals of trying to build a better physique because if I go and do a deadlift session I can't really train properly say my legs or anything really for four to five days of a major muscle group so it has more of a negative effect than the positive effect um, which I think when you again is coming back to women I think because the generally because the physiologically the loading of the muscles is slightly less the damage isn't quite as severe if that makes sense mm. yeah and I think like that brings up another point that this is one of the things that I think is quite hard with online coaching is that everyone's, if I tell one of my clients to go max out on whatever it is, squats, it's, what they, it's what they think is max out, isn't it? So, like, some clients would be ruined for a week. Some clients would be ready to go again after two minutes in the gym. Like one person's maximal is completely different to another's. And I think that one comes a bit with training age and your experience, but also, like you're saying, when you get to actually meet a client and they think, oh, that was my max. And you're like, no, it wasn't. Like, yeah, you can see. Yeah, try again. That's not quite. Um, so, yeah, I think people's perception of like what would be, even if you're using things like RPE scale, like what actually is a 10. And for one person, a 10 is going to be like just marginally out of breath. And for other, someone else, it's like, oh, well, I would literally be dead. Yeah, passed but, out on the floor. Yeah. Exactly. So that's quite interesting. I actually spoke about that a little bit yesterday with them um, talking about high intensity interval training. And I had actually overheard a personal trainer in the gym kind of trying to implement HIT in the way that they do it sort of in research. So, you know, usually they're using a bike where you're already going at speed and then the weight drops onto the bike. So something, have you ever done a wing gate cycle? Yeah, so I, I tend to like go through I was doing that for a while a bit of an issue my blood pressure was like a bit high so I was trying to use HIT to bring it down which did work and that's essentially what I was doing was trying to like I'd get a bike up to speed and then crank the loading on it and just doing my mm. like, of that which is horrendous which is like a really hard thing to do if you've not got the special bikes that like drops the weight yeah, what bike is a decent bike yeah you've got to get up to speed so I think if you're trying to do really short intense bouts for general population who maybe a unless you're there telling them how hard you want them to go like I was explaining that you know a session of three 30 second sprints like wind gate cycle sprints even with 20 minutes recovery like you would be absolutely dead um so it's that kind of level of intensity I have to say like talking going down the, the line of hit I have to say that's something and people's ability to push themselves like for me, that's not something I would really use in dieting phase because I know, like hand on heart, that I can't push myself to do that because it's not something I necessarily enjoy. And I'll end up, like if I'm dieting and I'm tired, 
I'll end up going 80% rather than 100%. So it's almost what's the point. You end up doing medium intensity cardio for a very short period of time. So it's not. Yeah. And it's like, not only is it physically really fatiguing, but it's actually mentally really oh, mentally it's annihilates you. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. And then I think like kind of what we were discussing, like what you can recover from, but it brings up the question of like volume versus intensity when it comes to not sorry, volume versus like frequency when it comes to training. And I don't know what you're, like if, if muscle mass is the sole goal, and obviously we know from research that volume is the key there, but I think um, frequency of training is also really important. So if you're stimulating that muscle more frequently. I agree. And I'm a big fan of more probably for smaller body parts, higher frequency training. But I think the analogy of training one body, like if, you, if you're only, say for example, you're doing a traditional bro split that most people do where you train your body part once a week. Whereas if you're doing like a push-pull leg split, we train everything five days a week. Over a month, then you're going to get in an extra four sessions, I think, on each body part, mm. which you accumulate that over a year. That's a huge amount of extra opportunities where you can break down a muscle, get it to repair, break down a muscle, get it to repair. And it's another window of opportunity for your body to try and adapt and improve rather than just once a week. Your body doesn't know what day of the week it is and doesn't stick by a calendar, so it doesn't really make any difference in that respect. I think people... I, th- I can understand why people get to that doing set body parts on certain days because it fits into people's schedules with work and life. Uh, and again, it all comes down to sustainability and consistency, but I would agree frequency. And I think yeah. you'll probably get this like from more of like a bro stance, like it is kind of fun to do like 10 exercises on chest oh, yeah. and just like not be able to touch your face. But the thing is, you probably, you know, you probably saturated your muscles response to that exercise at about like four exercises in. And the rest is just like, oh yeah, but having a pump is fun and actually getting that fatigue just like, you kind of feel like you've done more, but if your muscle could recover further from that is probably not the case. Like you're, we, I think we forget about, it's not just the training that we do, but we have to recover from that training. I agree. And I think that's sometimes where it comes a little bit of training experience for the individual, like no one, you could be the greatest trainer in the world, but if you you can't tell how that client feels inside their body. Like I, I did when I was doing legs the other day, I was going to do three sets of barbell squats at the end of doing legs. Seemed like a great idea. And like I did one set and it was just wiped out. And I was like, there's no, I could do another two sets, but I was like, it gets to the point where you're digging such a big hole for yourself that you can't get yourself out of it in terms of recovery by the time you next want to train. And then it comes back to the, like what we mentioned earlier in terms of what's the end goal and is this actually going to be productive or are you just, like creating so much muscle damage that the recovery like demand is going to be so big that you, you almost can't recover from it. Mm. And that's interesting as well. Like I think, so do you do the sessions that you program normally? What for clients or do I do it? Um, yeah, like not, yeah, not, not I like to guinea pig everything myself. So yeah, it's one of those things you can look at a workout on paper and I'm like, that looks like a piece of piss. And then when you actually, the, the intensity and diff- how difficult a workout is in the execution of the workout rather than what it says on the paper in terms of rep sets and the scheme of the whole thing. And like, I like, I do everything any of my clients do myself first because I want to try and see if it works and see how it feels. Um, every, every workout for me is an opportunity to like learn your body and how you feel and how you move. So mm-hmm. I'm like, I like to try and be quite in tune with that. But it's, again, I think you have to be very intuitive sometimes with, when enough is enough so like a lot of like my clients will say like do three or four sets if you're done after three and you i'd rather you did three like balls out sets than 
fall at 75%, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quality of Yeah, quality. and I think so much of it is the, is the intensity. And I remember when I used to do athletics, I was always a bit, like, I think our, our coach used to, like, share our sessions with, like, whatever, just anyone that wanted to know. And I was always a bit like, well, I don't want them knowing what I'm doing. Like, that's, like, secret, like, training. But it's yeah. not really. It's the intensity that you put into that session. Um, and you know what? None of them were particularly like I'm not scared of showing my workouts, but if you don't do them with the right intensity, you wouldn't get the results anyway. Like you must, you must get this. My, one of my favorite comments on my hands, like head drops on my hands, is the workout's too easy, and I'm like, and I, I know, I, like, right. I, I know yeah. what I'm myself, and I was like, I remember, and I was like dying on the floor after doing that session. I was like, you just like your interpretation of how to push yourself doing it wasn't correct, essentially. Yeah, but the thing is, like, even if you gave me a session that was, like, three sets of ten on, like, four different exercises, that could ruin me oh, if I actually lifted heavy weights. You do one set of ten oh, and, on, like, on something, and if you had someone there to literally, like, not let you out until you did ten of, like, the physical maximum you could do, you wouldn't, like, you wouldn't be able to walk. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, what else did we want to speak about? Uh, seasonal? Uh, so the other thing I, was, I thought was quite a poignant topic to go through is like seasonal depression and the changes in seasons in terms of how you feel. Like I personally notice this every year. I come into now like autumn, it's darker in the mornings and like normally like in the, in the springtime, like it's light at like 4.30, I'm up, I'm like ready to like take on the world. And, but now it's like a bit darker in the morning. Personally, I find it a bit of a drag trying to get myself out, being honest to people. And I hear a lot of the same things from my clients, which is why I think it's quite a good topic to open up and maybe like discuss because a lot of people sometimes think that it's just them who feel like this, whereas I think it's maybe something that's not discussed openly very often. Yeah, and I also think it's good to be aware of because a lot of people might just be like, oh, I've been feeling really low. I don't know what it is. And then you're like, well, actually, it could be that it's darker in the mornings. Like people do tend to get, I definitely feel it. Like it's not, it's harder to get up in the morning when it's dark. It's cold and dark. Particularly in Dundee. Yes, particularly here. And the, the blooming, what, it hasn't even changed yet. Like the daylight savings. So it's about to get even worse. Have you ever used, um, One there's of the, like special lights that you can oh, get. Don't, don't. This is quite funny. So I bought being the idiot that I am I like as soon as I get an idea like this I was like I'll just buy the best one or whatever it is so I bought this alarm clock that's basically like replicates the sun to wake you up and when I bought it to be fair I was working like full time I used to manage branch and estate agents this was like the start of the year and it was the most irritating thing in the world so like say for example you'd you want to get up at like 5.45 it would start lighting up at like 5 o'clock in the morning but like really gradually and probably because why the seasonal, why I get affected by seasons so heavily, I'm really sensitive to light when I sleep, to the point that I have to wear, wear all these weird face masks now, I don't ask. Um, my wife's not impressed. And um, like, as soon as it lights up, I'm awake. So I'll be awake at five o'clock. If you've got a partner, it wakes her up as well. So if you've got to get up at like, before then, it doesn't work. So it's, it's a bit of a nightmare. So it's like 200 quid clock that's been used about three times. So basically, you bought a two hundred quid clock and then started wearing an eye mask so you can see it. Pretty much, yeah. I don't. The, the, nice. the, the clock is now sat next to my bed, but just unplugged and never. <laughs> it looks quite nice, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So I don't know, like, what do you have any good like tips to get over the fact that you know some people get a little bit low during this time of year 
I think supplementing with vitamin D is a big one um, mm-hmm. because we naturally living in the Northern Hemisphere in the UK is not particularly sunny anyway. We don't get a lot of natural light exposure. Um, so I think that does have a big influence. And I think a lot of people, when they find if they get their blood work done, they can see that they can be deficient in a lot of, a lot of uh, vitamins they're taking in because they're not getting enough vitamin D. Uh, there is, I think it's the, is it the red lights you can get? You can, the infrared lights you can get, which are supposed to like right. zap you with that, I think within, um, with like natural light, but that's a bit full on biohacking for me. And I think in real terms, yeah. get someone sitting in front of a, a light for five minutes of that, I think it's a little bit where do you call the line with some of these things. I think supplementing with like a, a tablet a day or whatever isn't an issue, but if you're trying people asking people to go out of their way to um, to try and sit in front of a light to give them some natural light exposure, I think it's probably a bit full on. Yeah, and I think um, like vitamin D is one of the more, I guess we know that from research that almost everyone in the UK is deficient in oh, vitamin D. <laughs> so i guess supplementing that is a good is a good way to go and i think it does like it in an ideal world you'd get it from sunlight and i think it's much more easy for your body to take that in and actually utilize it than i'm sure there was some research showing that supplementing wasn't like as beneficial obviously but it's like what we've got and what's readily available and kind of what you're saying like it it fits into people's lives it's quite an easy add-on i think it's the same thing i think you must find your clients well like and i find my own life is there's what's optimal and then there's what's practical. Like some things just aren't practical to be done. And so that's where we talk about um, studies and research is like some things might say like a certain diet or training system is optimal, but you can't go, like a lot of people can't train, like say if they said train five times a day, people can't do that, for example. So it's trying to find what fits in with the, the Western lifestyle optimally. Yeah, and what people can stick to is I guess they're like, the most obvious one in fitness I see is, oh, you know, you should be, if you wanted to maximally stimulate muscle protein synthesis as often as possible, that would be like every two hours. So you'd eat like 25 grams of protein every two hours. It's not practical for anyone to do that. It's, um, I think that again is one which a lot of people can go get a bit too hung up on. Like, oh, I haven't eaten within two hours. Like in my opinion, like I, Ideally, I'd try and get clients to eat probably every three hours if possible, have like a snack or something, just because I think it tends to prevent overeating when they do go and eat. But like if that rolls onto four hours or whatever, like I wouldn't be bothered. It's not going to make any difference at all. This is where I think like we have, I guess, different opinions, but only I think because of our general client base. Yeah. Yeah, because I think that works really well for men. And I'm going to say, all I mean by men is people, bigger people who have a bit more calories to play with. Because if you took one of my standard female clients who's maybe dieting on 1,500 calories and you split her meals up into every three hours, say like five, five, six meals a day, they're so small that she's never full, but yet always, you know, and you have to use a lot of willpower to at the end of that very small meal, stop eating. And you've done it so many times a day. And it, I, it does work really well for like people on higher calories, but on lower calories, I tend to find that even things like intermittent fasting work a hell of a lot better because you can have big satiating meals, just less of them. And spread them out. Yeah. It's an interesting topic to talk about males compared to females again, because I um, finally got a podcast went live today with uh, Matt O'Reilly and Emily King, who are from 
sorry, from Australia who are WBFF pros who compete in like three, four days. And they're a couple both prepping, competing together. They've done a few times. It's obviously an interesting challenge. But it's, it's interesting because Matt obviously being, is a big guy. He's like 100 plus kilos. He literally died, like suffers really badly, badly being with hunger and like can't go without eating. Whereas like Emily, for example, doesn't have the same issue uh, being slightly smaller female. Like I think men just generally suffer more, I think, from hunger, maybe from having a larger frame and more, more maybe demands from muscle mass. I don't know if that's more like a, I'm not quite sure what drives, I guess it's just a physiological influence. Well, it's interesting because obviously I more hear this from like the other side. They're like, oh, my boyfriend's complaining that he's dieting on like 2,500 calories when I've never eaten that much in my life. Like that's like, you know, that would be me like bulking and then some. <laughs> um, but you, the point you're making is totally valid. Like there's a bigger, your drive to hunger would be, be bigger because you you might still be in the same magnitude of deficit or even a potentially bigger deficit. You're a bigger human. Your basal metabolic rate will be bigger. Your demand for calories is higher. And you also think the training demand, like we were talking about earlier in terms of like, the, the the intensity of the training, if the loading is a lot higher, the probably the physiological demand in terms of your body craving nutrients from that in terms of response is probably be a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I guess I hear it again from the other side of like <laughs> with with more flexible dieting or people that are taking that approach, it'd be you know like you could quite easily even like a couple of days before a shoot go out for Nando's or like you know take your girlfriend or your wife out for dinner, whereas as a female that's like potentially half my calorie allowance for the day yeah. whereas for you you're like yeah that's maybe like one and a half of the six meals i would have had like i'll have to make some slight adjustments but like for a girl sometimes like a meal out given that portion sizes don't change if you're male or female like it's just sort of standard and i know you don't have to eat anything like I mean, if it's on the plate that's getting eaten let's be honest like, realistically you've paid for it it's on the plate it's getting eaten um so yeah, I guess that's it's just like considerations for different demographics. No, I'd, I'd agree with that 100. percent I think it's um, it's just an interesting comparison, and I think women get a bit of a raw end of the deal with that. I think just because their body weight is so much less, and like even for me, like part of the reason I've always wanted to have more carry more muscle mass, to be naturally greedy in terms of food, is that I know I can get away with eating more. And like the biggest guys will always have to eat the most food. So if you're a a particularly tall chap. Uh, I had another guy on the podcast today. He's like six foot five or something. So like some of these guys have taken huge amounts of food just to stay alive, like let alone actually train or try and do anything. So that's, it's amazing how much food some people take. And even some people take like for men trying to gain weight. And I know like some women would probably never believe this. And I, I haven't spent a long time doing that, but it gets to the point where I, I was up being about five and a half, six thousand calories a day about this time last year, and it gets to the point where you're like, I just don't want it. I don't want to look at any more foods. Like, you yeah, start trying to eat with, that much every day, it, it gets yeah. a lot. I've worked with guys um, that have sort of said the same, and you're always kind of like, oh god, I wish I had that problem. But I don't imagine it's very fun, to be honest. Uh, it, it's fun for like the first few weeks, and then you get to the point of like, fuck this, like you just. Yeah, you feel like bloated all the time. I think the first few weeks is probably because I imagine you start from a fairly lean place. Yeah, your body's just craving food. Yeah, and your hunger probably hasn't caught up with, or your hunger's still there. And then, like once once your body realizes this is how much food we get every day, it's like, well, we don't need hunger anymore. Like, turn that off, whatever. So I guess it it would be hard. And I think a lot of people try and 
do it eating the same foods that they were dieting on just more of it and i'm like there's no way you can get in five thousand calories eating chicken and rice because like even just the food volume side like you can't and that's why i'm quite a big fan of particularly like so intra workout carbohydrates because that's quite an easy way to get extra carbs in um using things like I would always prefer whole food is king, but when you get to the point where you're eating five, 6,000 calories a day, it makes it a lot easier if you have like two meals with the protein sources, like a whey isolate or something like that, it's easy to digest. It's not going to bloat you out. So it's, again, be very aware of what digests well with you. And like, I remember one of the most stupid things I ever did. I was, last time I competed, I just had a, I was going to have a high carb day with a thousand grams of carbs. And it was at that point when I was actually like dying. I was so hungry and I couldn't wait for this day. And the first meal, I was like, hey, I like, what's the most filling thing I can have? So I had like 200 grams of oats. And bear in mind, I was like three weeks out from a show and I was like shredded. Literally, I've never been so bloated after about like two, three meals after that started to digest. And again, it's just being aware of what digests well with you and not like overdoing it on certain food groups. Yeah, it is interesting. It's a, it's a completely different world as well. Like when you're competing for a show and you've got to really get in tune with more so like how your body reacts to certain foods it is an interesting process you know finding like what did you find was good for you like pre-show uh digestively anything i find works really well for me is anything that's rice based so uh rice cakes white rice um i'm a big fan of using like ground rice mixed with like whey ice again because it's just super easy to eat Mm. Uh, it just doesn't bloat me out at all whereas i find if i just eat like i love porridge oats but i can't as soon as I start to have a lot of it, it just fills me out way too much, way too much. But personally, I like carbs, I don't find I have any issues digesting. For me, it's um, fats tend to cause a lot of issues. So if I start trying to add a lot of fats to meal, like fats with carbs, it tends to slow digestion down. So like, say, for example, today I'm having a high carb day, like 500 grams of carbs, but I'll keep the fats relatively low, like 65 grams. And... 20 grams, that'll be from like fish oils. So there's not a huge amount of added fats at all. It's just natural sources really. Um, because I find if I start, if I have any added fats with any meals, I just, my digestion slows down so much from trying to break, break the fats down essentially. That is interesting. So do you um, carb cycle like habitually? Um, I always do to a degree because I think logically it makes sense in the fact that if you're like I have a rest day diet and a training day diet so on a rest day I'll have very like if I was looking to get leaner I'd probably go pretty much like 10 grams carbs or zero grams carbs I'd have some berries which are like low glycemic index anyway um, and then on my training days I would push the carbs heavier around like trainings so I'd have around 300 grams of carbs maybe on a training day um, which would probably be split around the workout, like pre-workout, post-workout. Um, but at the moment, as I'm trying to push my weight up a little bit, I've been having a high-carb day once a week, which is normally the day before, like a week of body part, just to almost try and like oversaturate glycogen for when I go and train, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Again, trying to like, I, I quite like the logical principle of thinking like fuel your body when it needs it, if that makes sense. I don't know. I can appreciate if you're realistically if you're very low carbs anyway having I don't know, 100 grams of carbs an hour before you train that's not going to be in your muscle cells at that point but um well i don't know like part, part of I, it, well, but i think a lot yeah, of it's psychological as well see, yeah yeah i think some of it is psychological and i can see the benefit to it and i actually for some clients like carb cycling but it's more calorie cycling yeah. if that's, but that, that's the thing you create a natural calorie cycle by doing that because 
you've started to drop off on carbs. I increase the fats and protein a little bit, but um, I do the same with my clients, and it's generally what I find tends to work best with people. I find I don't know if you find I find mentally I feel better eating less carbohydrates than when I eat like if I'm eating tons of carbs, I just want to sleep. Or I feel out of it, like just can't really concentrate. I am um, normally just eat low carb all the time. Yeah. Um, I find that yeah, I'm way more focused. I find it really easy. I don't really count calories because I'm just sort of like at like a maintenance phase. Like I'm not looking to do anything in particular. And I find that's a really easy way to basically eat to my maintenance needs without having to track on my fitness power, which is never something I've enjoyed doing. Um, So I think for some people it can work really well, but I think there always needs to be the knowledge that like carbs aren't bad. You can have them if you want. It's just a tool that you could use, you know. That's a big take home point. I think a lot of people are very scared of certain food groups. It's like, you should never eliminate one entire food group. Like you need to have protein, fats, carbohydrates. You can't just go like get rid of fats completely because hormonally it causes a shitstorm. And like, although there's a lot of research to say for like overall health, which I probably agree with, like a ketogenic diet is probably the most healthy diet you have within reason. But I think in practical terms, that again isn't going to happen because nearly like most of the foods we have now have to do carbohydrates with them. And I think a lot of people, if you said to me, you'd never eat carbohydrate again, it would probably very much struggle. Yeah. Like, that'd be like my worst nightmare. It's, it's very unrealistic. And I actually don't think ketogenic diets are healthy. I think that they limit way too much, like, quote, unquote, good food. So if you're on a ketogenic diet, you can't, you can't really eat that much fruit. You can't eat very that much veg. You can't have any whole grains. Like, and all these things have been, like, independently shown to improve your health on various markers, including, like, overall mortality so i don't think limiting in that like to that extreme but the thing is what what tends to happen in research you're like oh this is really interesting then it's like actually moderation is probably going to be the answer to everything yeah it's like oh that's not exciting like people like extremes it's kind of easier to stick to something like a really low carb diet or like a ketogenic diet because, and I read this quote yesterday actually, and it resonated with me so much. And it said, 98% is harder than 100% in terms of commitment. So let's say you've fully committed to a ketogenic diet. That means you just don't eat carbohydrates. That's all or nothing, isn't it? Yeah. And also, like the point with that is that you made that choice once. So you're saying, I'm going to go on a ketogenic diet. I make that choice once. I don't make that choice now every time I eat something. I don't even think, like, I'm just hypothetically doing this. I, I am not on a ketogenic yeah, it's diet. You but, it's not a choice. <laughs> but you you don't have to make that choice for every meal. And and I, for me, I was thinking, oh, that's one of the reasons probably why vegans and vegetarians are so good at sticking to their diet. Do you think a vegetarian every single meal makes the choice to be a vegetarian? They don't. They made that choice potentially years ago, and they don't have to make it again and again. That means it's not like using up their willpower. It's just a, a one choice they've gone 100% in. And, and that's a good example. Like I think it'd be way harder to be 98% vegetarian. And now and again, when you feel like it, have a little bit of something, then just be like, no, I'm 100% vegetarian. I don't eat animal products. Done. I'd never have to make that decision again. Uh, I 100% agree with that. That's, um, you just don't have to think about it then. It's the same thing for me. Like I, like, I, I would enjoy it, but I would never go, like I go into the petrol station. I would like, 
I look at the chocolate, but I don't really look at it. Like I would never think about picking up a chocolate bar and buying it. Like that would just never even like cross into my brain. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's like when before I don't know, like when a sort of behavior turns into a habit, isn't it? Yeah. You don't have to make those like conscious efforts. Yeah, you don't even have to think about that anymore. Yeah. I guess like with with you and with training as well, it's not like, oh, every day I have to force myself to do X, Y, or Z or like to train. And you're like, no, I'm someone who exercises and enjoys the gym. It's not an effort to go. You're saying that though. You know what we were saying about the seasonal (laughs) depression thing? I actually found out yesterday I felt a bit off when I woke up and I was going to go and train. And I was like, "Mm." I literally, I made my pre-workout meal and I was like, I just I don't feel right. I just I threw it in the bin. I didn't like didn't weight train. I went and just did some cardio and then trained a client. Um because I just didn't quite feel like it. I felt my body needed resting, which was for me a very, very unusual thing. Because I'm like probably a chronic overtrainer, whereas like for the last two months I've pretty much been like training a lot twice a day and going probably like overdoing it. I probably it's probably that analogy of like too much of a good thing where I've probably like mentally and physically overdone it a little bit whereas i now probably need to go into like i almost i like, like to listen to my body and like my mind how i feel with training in terms of like okay maybe now i need to train my change my training size into like once a day which i'm going to do and scale back the volume a little bit because that's probably a sign in terms of how you mentally and physically feel mm-hmm. and it is interesting like someone like you you know if you were my client and you were like i don't feel like training today i'd be like have a rest day yeah. Because I know that you are like a chronic overtrainer and it, it actually, you're listening to your body, it probably does need a rest. And then you get other clients that like any excuse not to get to the gym. And you're just, like, <laughs> just go, just and do that, something. That, and that again comes from you as a, like, as a trainer, having the skill to interpret your client and the level of their ability and ambitions. Because if it's someone who's a beginner and they've only been doing it a week, you'd be like, mm, you probably, not, not in an arrogant way, but you probably haven't earned the right to be like, I can't be bothered to go today because you haven't put in the mileage quite yet to be at that level where your body's probably needing a bit of a break anyway, or, or you're mentally needing a break. If that makes sense. Mm. Well, I think that's good. Like Dom's is quite a good example there. Like if you've got a new client and they're like, Oh, I'm really sore. I think I'll just take the day off the gym. And it's like, nah, just, just work through it because this is purely because you've not been doing this exercise very often. And it, and it you know, but if you had a client who, Maybe you haven't changed their training that much, but they're like, oh, I suddenly just feel really sore all the time. You're like, that's probably a sign you're not recovering. Let's take a day off the gym or let's take a couple of days off the gym. So I guess like knowing where they are in that journey as well. Yeah, I 100% agree. And that's one thing I think people need to be like, and if my clients are listening and if your clients are listening, be very open and aware with the feedback that you provide to us because that makes our lives a lot easier to make more informed decisions and what's the best action to take for you the following week because like all these little signs from your body will do have to all add up and make it make a difference in terms of what's the best like approach going forward mm-hmm. right so are you ready for yeah, you got some questions so let's have a set yeah okay just to I have no idea what you uh, an intro yesterday i put Oh yeah, these will be a surprise. So yesterday I put something up on Instagram and it was asking for fitness unpopular opinions. Um, okay, so I'll just fire them at you and we can discuss. Okay. Oh, okay. well, I don't really want to start with such a... Okay, here's one, which we've kind of touched on. Some of them are a little bit controversial, you know. Um, okay, first one isn't. So no pain, no gain, that came up twice. 
my, probably the most stupid saying I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. <laughs> the, the one thing I'd say is there's a difference between pain as in like someone stabbed you pain and pain as in like you walked up a thousand set, sets of stairs and your pods are burning. Like if your joints are hurting, you're in pain, for example, on your knee, whatever you're doing, stop and like try and work out why you're doing another exercise. Mm. I also think that some trainers are like, oh, you have to give it everything. And I guess we were sort of saying that at the start of the podcast, but when it comes to like someone within, just, within the realm of form, you're like, yeah, but even then, like I've got clients who don't really want to get that uncomfortable, but equally their goals are just improved body composition, being healthier, feeling good about themselves. You don't have to kill yourself to do that. To be fair. It depends you don't what, need to be crying on the leg press. Mm-hmm. Like, you can just like stimulate that muscle, you know, and, and work it, but it doesn't, doesn't have to be. And, and that's what I kind of want to get across. It doesn't have to be painful and it can be enjoyable and you don't have to push your body to its absolute limits. Now, if you're someone who's motivated to do that and wants to do that, that's cool. But I think that or seeing that puts a lot of people off, even like trying in the gym. because they're like, Oh God, like that person was literally like, crawling out the gym after a PT session like that's not what I want to be doing it doesn't depending on your goals it does not have to be like that 100% okay next one fat PTs won't be as successful depends how clever they are with marketing themselves and how good they are at their job because ultimately what what the if they can market themselves and get client results it doesn't matter what they look like what they look like within reason but I'm a big advocate of leading by example by the way you conduct and carry yourself will influence the success of your business, in my opinion. Yeah, I have to agree. Like, obviously, it doesn't really matter what you look like, as in you could give out the best information, offer the best support and be massively overweight. But it does show for a fact that you're not practicing what you're preaching. So, And I can sort of see why someone would be like, well, you're not able to stick to this. So why do you expect me to? And I think you do have to, like you're saying, lead by example. And as much as you, like, maybe this isn't the right way of things, like you are your own business card as a PT, really. Like, and I don't think, not for one second am I saying you have to be shredded all the time or be in amazing shape or look like, you know, incredible. My point is, I don't think you should be out of shape. No, I agree. And I think... It's like the analogy I like to use is like you wouldn't take financial advice as someone who's bankrupt. Like exactly, yeah. Think about it like that. You, you just wouldn't. So yeah. Okay. Um. Next one. So, so this one is men do care how much you can bench. No, that's like retarded. <laughs> I don't even know how much. I, like, I can't remember the last time I flat bench pressed. That like that for me. My least favorite one is I can leg press. Blah blah blah. I'm like oh. What can you squat though? I don't even know. I, I, like for me, I just don't really see the point of anything less than five reps unless you're a powerlifter. Yeah, yeah. Like if someone asks that question to me, then like I automatically know that they don't really know know a lot about what they're about training. In my opinion. Okay, here's here's quite a good one. Taking steroids will make you get there quicker. No, because that's the icing on the cake of like someone who's looking to push themselves to an elite level. However, if your training and nutrition isn't correct, then you're not really going to get going where you want to do. Like tons of people will end up doing steroids and won't make any progress at all because their diet will be well off. They won't be training like correctly. 
And if, if someone's training technique's not correct and they're not actually putting tension through the muscle, then you can take all the drugs in the world you like, but nothing's going to happen. Well, okay, I'm going to disagree. So that, 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 you can, that you can sustain. Obviously, it takes hard work. No one is not saying that. And I actually think often people that do take steroids work even harder because they're that much more committed. Like you're not generally, or you'd hope that someone who's not that committed wouldn't even consider. Yes, posting on that. Yeah. So I'm not saying it doesn't take hard work, but there are, or it, one study in particular to show that even if you do nothing, you will grow muscle mass if you take steroids. But again, I would take that with a pinch of salt on the, like, what the research group was of the study. Like, I think to a degree, yeah, you probably would add some muscle tissue because hormonally your body would be in a, like, a more of an anabolic state, which has never been. So your testosterone levels would be super physiological. But, like, without the training stimulus, I can't really see other than increased, like, fluid retention within the muscle. What, why... Like, why muscle hypertrophy would occur, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, the study is interesting because it had three groups and one group train, one group train and take steroids, and one group just take steroids and don't train. And surprisingly, well, unsurprisingly, the group that trained and took steroids built the most muscle mass. Then the groups that did nothing but just took steroids, and then the groups that trained. So there obviously is a huge anabolic effect of taking steroids and you can see that like this isn't exactly the same but you can see that in like certain animals that have higher testosterone levels that they've got more muscle mass without like this is slightly different because like bulls have potentially myostatin inhibitors as well which is another like a different mechanism but have you ever seen a like blue. A bull lifting weights yeah. you know what I mean? like but yeah it's absolutely shredded um, and it, some of it is to do with hormonal differences. Some of it is to do with other things. But um, you, I think the question was like, would you get somewhere faster taking steroids? And the answer is probably yes. Like it takes a hell of a lot of hard work as well to develop an amazing physique. Like you can't just sit there, take steroids and then become the next Mr. Olympia. Oh, it is. It doesn't work like that. It will. There's no sort of denying that if you did it right, or quote unquote right, um, you would get more results. Than oh, there's no like it's not like there's no dispute about that. It's 100 percent proven in that respect. It's guaranteed. Yeah. But I do think you're right in that a lot of people are like oh like I don't think you know people are like oh it's cheating. Yeah. I'm like actually they didn't like or they'll look at someone with amazing physique and be like yeah but they take steroids so it's none of their hard work means anything. And you're like well actually. <laughs> The chances are that the people who can do who do that will push themselves, as you said, harder than anyone else because they are so serious about what their end goal is. Yeah. And I guess you've taken that commitment that you know that it's probably not great for your health. Um, and you're probably that much more serious. Like I know if I had already made the commitment to put my sort of health on the line, I'd be like, right, well, I should at least make the most out of this and then like probably train harder. Plus one of the things that I think Sarah's allow you to do is recover quicker, thus allow you to train harder. Yeah, so it gives you the ability to push yourself further. Yeah. Um, right, okay, well, I pick one last one. Do you, what's your biggest fitness unpopular opinion? Oof. In what respect? It's so hard on the spot, isn't it? Unpopular opinion. Um, 
I don't think I've got any. I'm quite. I'm similar to you in terms of the keto diet. I think it's bullshit, and I just hate like just a marketing con. The other one that I'm, I get a little bit frustrated about at the moment, and I respect people who want to do it from an ethical point of view. Is the big vegan plant based movement, which again is becoming, in my opinion, a big marketing con where people are like, "Oh, look how much weight I've lost. Look how jacked I am just eating plants." Whereas, like, you look at like, say, for example, the American guy Mike Rashid he was like a heavyweight boxer, like guys jacked. He's like, Oh yeah, I'm vegan. It's like, yeah, but you didn't build that physique. Yeah. Spinach. Like, let's be serious. But uh, let's be honest. That's every supplement company. Oh, any athlete, like- I agree. But it's, um, that, that I find frustrating because then I have people come to me who want to be, who want to like take that approach, which is great, but they then have unrealistic expectations about what's, that will do for them. And like, in my opinion, why people tend to lose weight when they're on a vegan diet is not because they're eating plants. It's because they're just cutting out all the other shit that they're eating before because they can't eat a lot of it anymore. Yeah. Same thing as you were saying about hundred percent or 98 percent. If once you've made that choice, if you can stick to it for a little period of time, then you, you will end up losing weight. Yeah. I think that's why rule based dieting does tend to work so well. Although some people are like, Oh, it's, you know, you don't, have to go vegan to do this you don't have to cut out carbs to do that but it's like yeah but it's one rule that people can just quite easily be like well that's me made that decision bam i don't really need to think about anything else whereas flexible dieting can be a little bit too flexible for people they're like oh i can eat anything i just need to practice like basically portion control and self-control and I'm, like, a bit, I'm a bit like that as well like as soon as i give myself a little like a little bit of flexibility, I tend to start to take the piss a little bit, to be honest with you. So for me, I'd rather have a, a rigid diet where I just follow certain foods rather than be like, oh, yeah, let's try and get a Pop-Tart in here, there. And then like things tend to slide a little bit, if that makes sense. Yeah, I especially think that's true with people I've had that have done like prep. And I think you can do flexible dieting on prep. And I always promote like some aspect of flexibility, but especially as you get towards the end phases where you're tired, fatigued, where you're thinking a lot about food, you can end up spending like your whole day obsessing over whether you can fit a Pop-Tart in or, you know, what you might have within your macros for dinner. And it's like, do you know what you need? Like that mental power is far better used in literally anything else. Like it's waste time and family, friends, whatever. So it's like, maybe during that stage of prep, you would want something a bit more structured, like more of a meal plan based thing where you don't think anymore. You're just like, yeah, this is what I eat done. I've got brain power for other things. Yeah. Robot mode. Yeah. Um, okay. I don't know what, what opinion you're going to have on this one, but we'll finish with this. Um, what's the point of wearing makeup to the gym? It's pointless. Yeah. I see loads of people do it. If I've got an issue with people doing it, I think within reason, like, you see some girls, you're like, Jesus Christ, like, this, it's like a photo shoot. You're like, you're walking down a catwalk and then they're not really training. You're like, oh, I see you're probably lurking around trying to find guys here or something. But um, yeah. uh, you must see it a lot. But I, I have no issue with people doing it. And I think, like, a small amount's not a problem. But, it, like, I don't really, it's not a, I don't know, it's just the pressures of social media in the world that like everyone wants to look perfect all the time so I haven't got an issue with anyone doing that I don't have an issue with it at all actually and like even girls that want to just go to the gym and like that's what they do it's not, they're not hurting anyone it's their life do yeah, I'm like well I'll do what I do you do what you do like it doesn't it doesn't affect me or hurt me in any way and actually if wearing makeup makes them feel more confident and makes them feel like they can go to the gym or whatever like do what you want you know what sometimes you don't know as well like 
maybe some girls just come back from work and she can't be bothered to take her makeup off. Like it doesn't affect you, does it? So just sort of like, I'm just very much like each to their own. If it's not hurting anyone, then crack on. I agree. I agree. Right, well, um, we'll start to wrap up the podcast there. So thank you so much for today. It was an absolute pleasure. So some, My pleasure. Some topics to discuss. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know you, where, where can they find out some more information about you? You can find me on Instagram at esgfitness or www.esgfitness.co.uk and Facebook and all the other places. Awesome. So if anyone is listening, I'm going to give away a free place in my next Shred Nate program. It starts 21st of October. So if you can just tag myself and Emma in one of your stories listening to the podcast and I'll choose a winner the day after the podcast goes out. So absolutely oh, awesome. uh, Emma, so I hope you have a great day and we'll catch up soon. Thank you.